0: This is for the passionate Seahawks fans, the ones who care about scheme more than hot takes, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads from the eye in the sky. Scottless. This is Seattle Overload, Overload. Seattle Overload. with your hosts Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go. Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where it's time to recap the seahawks versus well at cowboys tape from week 13 we did the defense yesterday it's now time to look at how the offense fared specifically we're going to answer that question that we talked about yesterday of who is the best player on the seahawks right now and kind of talk about Geno smith around that topic yes i i didn't start Geno smith there's a real strong argument for him and i did actually answer that and then we'll look at the fourth down issues the offense had why those plays didn't work but before that we have a Seahawks injury report update and some interesting stuff to talk around when it comes to that I mentioned Gino Smith well he has appeared on the injury report today I wouldn't be too carried away uh with this like I, I think he's gonna play he's only a limited participant but he showed up today with a groin injury. And that's a new thing. haven't seen that before from him. Maybe he did it when he scampered into the end zone on that quarterback keeper. Possibly. Uh, Who knows? But maybe his mobility is restricted this Sunday. Maybe not. They'll need him to have as much of his game available to him as possible. Now, the concerns. Jordan Brooks still not participating with that medial ankle sprain. I'd say at this point he's probably not going to play, is he? Trey Brown also back-to-back not participant with a, with his heel injury. So it could be that Seattle has to play uh, a left corner, a new left corner. Um, but what that would actually really mean is you see possibly Witherspoon on the left side, um, and, and then more Jamal Adams in, in the nickel slot, and then... Mike Jackson probably slides when when they want Witherspoon in the slot. Uh, They probably slide Mike Jackson out to the left side, even though I think he's better suited and obviously has more experience, particularly in regular season games for for the Seahawks, at least, on the right-hand side of the field. So something to monitor there. Now, good news uh, in terms of the running back room that Zach Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker, who missed Wednesday's practice, are both limited participants in uh, today's practice. Have to see how that shakes out. Obviously, an oblique seems more serious than a, a bruised knee, even if the, the the bruise of the knee is bad. But, I mean, facing this 49 Niners team, which I we I previewed the matchup with uh, Sean Syed of uh, Sumer Sports, and uh, Sean is a uh, he covers the Eagles, so the Eagles just got pummeled by the 49 Niners. And honestly, like I try and be give a bit of optimism in those, or you know. That something could work out in those Seahawks previews, but, I mean, the 49ers are just an absolute buzzsaw. They're, they're so good right now. They're amazing on offense, and they're, they're so good on offense, their defense wouldn't even have to be that good to, for them to win games, and yet their defense is pretty damn good still uh, and and challenging, especially when you're playing from behind or, you know, you're playing against an offense which is able to control the ball like they do. So, anyway, that's that's a miserable thing am um, sorry about that. Um, yeah. Now, let's transition back to this question. So I, I talked about this yesterday from who else could be the answer? Who is the best player on the Seahawks right now? And I said, believe it or not, I said Geno Smith. And people got kind of upset with me. Um, and a, a lot of the accounts that were replying to me were muted, but they got really, really upset with me. And I, you know, I get it. Gino Smith, in terms of statistically, he's not having his best year, is he? And there's always that preconceived pre-con- kind of idea of him before he was in Seattle. And he did take a lot of people by surprise. He was the NFL comeback player of the year. But I think with Gino, we really need to be, and as Monjo Mon. Mojombo points out in the chat, people are still hanging on to the Gino Smith narratives from 2014. People do need to actually recognize the circumstances Gino's playing in right now. Now, he is a a classic pocket passer. He has some sneaky mobility to his game and, uh, you know, sneaky play extension, but that's never really his trait. He's a a guy who will look to uh, kind of honor the structure of a pocket, work within the pocket, He's not going to give you that improvisation stuff, meaning the offensive line is damn important for him. And I found this very interesting from uh, Ben B. Baldwin, uh, where he does his uh, pass protection ratings and compares them all. And look where the Seahawks place here. So PFF uh, gives them a 43 score, which appears to be... I mean, apparently it's better than the 49ers, although the 49ers are... um, the way that they expose their, their offensive line in, in terms of um, certain true dropback situations makes it tougher. But uh, uh, this is combining PFF, uh, Sports Info Solutions, and ESPN scores, and Seattle comes in at 30th uh, in the league in their offensive line, pass protection ratings. That is really, really bad, um, obviously. And I feel if you gave Gino, say top 20 (laughs) pass protection things would look a lot lot better i mean for context the teams around that are the giants the jets the patriots the steelers the titans the panthers the bengals the saints um and then the 49ers come in but like i said i think they're a bit different given how they kind of expose their o-line in certain situations i also think it's telling to me that like the 49ers in sports info solutions rate a bit higher but uh sports info solutions feels terrible about the the seahawks their sports info solutions has the seahawks as the third worst o-line in the league uh which they they come in at overall espn's uh pass block win rate has them as the fourth worst or, or no fifth worst so there there is a real consensus here that they're struggling and it kind of matches the eye test where gino as we've seen on tape in recent weeks when we, we look at the offensive struggles he just doesn't, you know, there's a flash of color. He doesn't have time in, in pockets to honor kind of the the structure of plays and the routes. And the, the the Cowboys game stood out as well because of the kind of balance that they had in their offense, you know, a bit more early down runs, trying to help their O-line. This isn't just the O-line being bad. I think it's also them being put in bad situations. But, of course, Dallas was the first game Abraham Lucas came back and they had in theory their, their starting five guys who they thought they were going to have heading into this season, wasn't it? So maybe things are going to improve. Uh, I think it's not like Gino is making the, we we looked in a few weeks ago how, although his pressure rate was high, his sack rate was fairly low, uh, relatively, meaning, you know, he's working with what he has. He's not kind of exacerbating the issues in that sense but ultimately he he he's being pressured too much and and kind of on the point of the offensive line and, and then I'll come on to Gino and how he does when he's pressured and his sacks and and that sort of stuff um Arjun Menon of uh he was previously with the New York Jets there you go he created a graph which says how often does a team's rusher run into their intended run gap and success rate when doing so and as you can see on this chart, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, the Seahawks are right in the top left, which isn't a good thing because that means that the rate of running into the intended gap run gap is way damn less than the uh, the 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 rest of the NFL. Uh, for context, the, the median appears to be uh, eighty-four point some eighty-four point nine percent, or basically eighty-five percent. Uh, whereas Seattle is at 74 point something percent uh, running into their intended gap. However, when they're running backs, I mean, top left is kind of good because when their running backs do run into the intended run gap, even though they don't do it very often, their success rate is the best in the league. They're, and smaller sample size kind of going on there, but their success rate is over 46%. Uh, the next best is the, it looks like the Buffalo Bills. Now, this, to me, kind of does speak stylistically to the running backs a bit, and you immediately think, hey, well, Kenneth Walker's kind of that guy who he won't hit the intended gap. If he sees an opening elsewhere, he'll try and bounce it out. He'll try those crazy cutbacks. But then, you know, you think about it, and when was the last time Walker actually did that? And again, you watch the tape, and I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, the the running backs occasionally, they could hit it uh, a bit more direct. They could hit the intended gap. They might be trying to do too much. But in recent weeks, and it's anecdotal, but in recent weeks, it's felt like it's more an offensive line thing. And indeed, Arjun, he tweeted out that both Walker and Charbonnet are having issues with changing uh, the run from the intended gap. Walker slightly more, but uh, Charbonnet still very much up there. And so... What does that tell me? Well, it tells me the offensive line is struggling from a run-blocking standpoint too. It's kind of confirmation of what I've seen on tape where guys are getting blown up. The, the holes are, um, you know, the designed hole for whatever reason, you know, the design gap, there isn't a hole there. Say a guy gets blown up immediately or say they struggled to combo block up to the second level linebacker and he fills that gap, intended gap. I think they're having real difficulties. Now, of course, this could also be that the charting company and uh, this is PFF's data, Pro Football Focus. They may have a challenge with Seattle's scheme, but for uh, and you know it's quite the divergence from the rest of the league. But I, I would say that it speaks uh, from my observations. This does speak to more offensive line struggles. Uh, so it's not just the, the the run game. It's also the oh well, sorry. It's not just the pass protection. It's also the run game. Now, I said I'd talk about um, Geno Smith uh, because, as I said, I believe there's a real strong argument that he's the best Seahawks player right now, and Griffin, who is still affiliated with this podcast uh, but on his hiatus, he, um, he tweeted out some very interesting data as well. So, it compares first down, second down, and third down for Geno Smith it builds in pressured rate on each of those downs. Um, and I think also, while it's easy to bash the offensive line, to me, this speaks of them being put in poor situations. I think you could also say the run game, again, it's easy to look at the Dallas game because it's like, well, they must have been doing good stuff because they are moving the ball on offense. Yes, that <laughs> that does uh, go hand in hand. Cool the touchdown plays, as I said yesterday. But... Um, I think the types of runs they were given it, 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 were better. Uh, I think there are, um I, I, I think they, It just felt like the Dallas game. They were calling plays which better fit their personnel, um, and we'll see that on a bit of the tape. I think. Now, in terms of the past stuff, like the why I mentioned that as well is first down, second down, third down. Well they've been in too many clear passing downs on, on third down. They've, they've kind of exposed their guys as well by the types of plays they call, um, you know, or, or the formation they line up in and all that sort of stuff. So as Griff tweeted out, Geno Smith's points earned per play, uh, success rate and pressured rate ranks on each down per Sports Info Solutions out of 32 quarterbacks. Geno Smith on first down, he is second in points earned per play, second in the success rate, but his um, pressure rate is fourteenth in the league, so manageable, manageable pressure rate. Twenty nine point nine percent of his dropbacks he's pressured on, and because it's fairly manageable for him, it's you know kind of uh, in that upper middle tier. He is able to be second in the league on second down. That pressure rate increases; it becomes the twenty seventh in the league, forty percent, and his points earned per play and success rate uh, falls to eleventh and thirteenth, respectively. So it's getting a bit worse. Uh, think again, about second down compared to first down, the types of plays you might call in those situations. And then third down is the absolute nightmare. Third down, Seattle uh, gives up even more pressure. So they're now 29th. They're giving up 51.2% uh, pressure percentage on on those dropbacks. And Gino's points earned per play goes to 25th in the league and his success rate, 24th. So really what we're saying is, uh, Gino is doing okay uh, despite being pressured, you know, f- fairly uh, a lot. But the, the, the third down stuff is really where there's an issue. I've got something on the receivers there as well. And uh, Griff also tweeted out that Gino Smith is 13th in success rate and 9th in points earned per play uh, when pressured, just overall in general. He's also first in points earned per play on early downs when pressured. So on those 29.9% of first down plays where he's pressured and the 40% of second down plays where he's pressured, Gino Smith is first in points earned per play. Now, third down, it gets a bit weird. Um, And uh, Amy, you're asking, why does this happen differently on different downs? Well, I think first down, everything's open to you, right? It's first and 10. You could run, you could pass, you could call a quick pass, you could call a long pass, you could call uh, you know a play action, you could do a, a quick play action, you could even do a run pass option, you could do a screen, et etc. Et the types of third down Seattle's been in have generally been ones which tell uh, offenses, hey, uh, sorry, they tell defenses, hey, you're you're passing, you're dropping back in in this situation. And so they're able to tee off up front. Their pass rushes don't have to defend the run. They have to really get up upfield and, and go after the passer. Uh, the the types of coverage you get are difficult. The types of front you get in terms of blocking the pass protection are difficult, which is why I say it's not just the offensive line here. It's kind of the situations they're put in, but teams will get more exotic with their looks. Um, so, you know, there's you'd really have to get into, and it'd be interesting to kind of dive into how, you know, How is it in 2nd and 3 compared to 2nd and 7? Everyone will be worse in 2nd and 7 compared to 2nd and 3 because on 2nd and 3, everything's on the table. But 2nd and 7 in the NFL is basically a passing down. Now, Seattle, as we looked at uh, previously, their pass rate over-expected. So how much they pass... um, Let me get it up now. How much they passed compared to the expected amount uh, on each down was like basically every single down and distance. It was higher than expected other than like one or two. Let me try and uh, get this to work. Let's check in on them. But what stood out about the Dallas game to me was it felt like Seattle sprinkled in a bit more run stuff. So if we exclude the dallas game which was week 13 wasn't it you can see how seattle on all plays part was passing 2% over more than expected but there's certain situations where they were really really uh passing more than uh, after than expected so second and eight plus they really like to pass third and one to two was the weird one we spoke about uh, they're 8% over expected and third and three plus 4% over expected. So again, the, the third down struggles, they they became such a pass heavy uh, team. I kind of asked Pete Carroll about that as well. And um, he said it's basically based on the certain looks they get. And if, you know, if teams showing man to man, they'll try and call in their man beater uh, pass play rather than run into like a loaded up box. But Honestly, there's been times where, again, when we've looked at the film in recent weeks, it's felt uh, felt like they've passed up the opportunity to run the ball when they could have done. Um, Now, how does week 13 compare to this? Okay, so week 13, they actually passed a, a heck of a lot in second and three and seven. But I imagine that was quite a bit of play action shots um and telling me for me the first and 10 they're negative 3% so they really did run the ball a bit on 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 first and 10 to try and stay a bit more balanced as an offense um yeah and and, and amy you've asked do they not trust their running backs to get the yardage i i think it's just i don't really know to be honest It's partly a philosophical thing. Shane Waldron speaks just in the run game terms. He always speaks about being efficient, and they haven't been efficient. And so, Brandon, when you say about not trusting the offensive line to block, that's part of it too. Um, We'll look at that Charbonnet fourth down play uh, because that is, I guess, slightly indicative or insightful. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, third down. Uh, So... Uh, Griff, uh, kind of on the subject of that, and you can all see this, right? He um, he mentioned there's a host of problems on third down for the Seahawks' offense. I mean, we've spoke about before, um, but the wide receivers and tight ends catch percentage on on target throws, so throws where Gino puts the ball where they should be able to catch the football, um, on early downs ranks second, so they're catching those throws, but on third downs that number falls to twenty first. Now part of that isn't just that they're dropping the football it's also that they're probably in tighter coverage and teams have really shown that they're able to play them the the um you know tighter coverages in those situations they', they haven't been afraid to play man to man and again the the Dallas game stood out to me because Seattle actually called in some like genuinely good man coverage beaters they <laughs> They weren't just playing iso ball out there. They actually had some picks, which worked. Um, They had some nice kind of motions into stacks and then uh, returns out of it. Uh, They cooked Dallas' man-to-man stuff time and time again in the the past situations. Uh, Gino threw the ball a tiny bit earlier, but really it was just these guys getting open. Um, Now, all of this is to say... I think the execution around Geno Smith, uh, when we re- like re- when I return to this question, uh, the execution around Geno Smith has been really poor, and he's been in some really bad environments, uh, both like the surrounding players and their execution, but also the the situations that uh, you know the the play callers put him into and and stuff. Now, whether Dallas is a is a sustainable performance is uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Now. Why do I say we'll have to see about that? Well, because... Listen, let me just uh, stop sharing that. And keep your eyes peeled, because I'm going to have a Geno Smith uh, video coming out tomorrow uh, on his Dallas performance and and kind of the good things which worked, um, how he was able to play so well in, in that game. But the sustainability can be called into question, because again, and this really... Like based on the tape as well, this is on the offensive line um he was in an absolute war zone in that in this dallas game that he was under so much pressure he was getting the ball out like before even guys could could get there even though they'd won uh it was it was very very impressive, and I just don't know how any quarterback. Uh, forget, you know, uh, uh, Geno Smith. I don't know how any quarterback can, like, realistically repeat that. It would require, in my opinion, and an offensive line improvement, a uh, uh, quite a dramatic one too, um, for him for him to kind of maintain the level that he did, where he, he threw for so many yards, he, he threw for these touchdowns. Now, I found the uh, found the stat here. Let me just ping that uh, in here and share my screen again. so next gen stats uh after this dallas game uh let me mute mute that there we go bang So Geno Smith was pressured on 54.5% of his dropbacks in that Cowboys game, the highest rate he's faced in a game in the next-gen stats era, which is also consequently the the highest rate he's faced in Seattle. And yet, uh, Smith wasn't sacked in part due to a 2.42 seconds average time to throw his quickest mark in a game over that same period. And, uh, Micah Parsons, uh, the Cowboys' edge rusher, he said, I don't think people realize how insane this is. It is absolutely... Um, I don't want to get in trouble here. Uh, it is absolutely insane. Now, Kerry, you're saying how Geno Smith held the ball a lot until Dallas. He he did hold the ball a lot. Now, it was more, Kerry, the way I view that is it, when he was in the pocket trying to go through his read when he, in the, with, within the timing of the play... The guy he was looking at wasn't open, and so when he spoke midweek about throwing guys open a bit more, I think he, this game he just said, "Well, screw it. I'm just going to throw to the, the you know the the guy who's one on one. I'm going to try and throw it uh, away from the defender leverage and let him make a play." What you get is a great game from Gino, but you it's you know it's a question mark of how sustainable that is. You think about the pick. Where Tyler Lockett is kind of bodied at the top of the route, Gino throws it to where he's breaking, but because he got bodied, the defender's able to undercut it for the interception. But um, you know, Gino wasn't holding the ball and not seeing people open. Gino was holding the ball because he's going through his reads. No one was open. Um, and and honestly, still Kerry, the fact that his sack rate is is low, a lot like significantly lower than his high, rather high pressure rate. That shows that while he may be holding the ball a bit, he's not get. You know, he's still not turning all those pressures into sacks. He's still getting rid of it and not taking so many sacks, which is a somewhat a quarterback controlled thing, right? Um. And and Kerry, that's the thing. So this Dallas game was a much bigger uh, example of a better balance of plays. not only did they, they run the ball slightly more on, on first and 10 to to help out their offensive line i think uh but also you know they had actual man beaters they had stuff so let me just um bring up this so i wrote this massive article at seahawks on tape.com which is my substat where i write quite uh i write seahawks tape breakdowns and pieces uh using quotes and whatnot uh I, I i think it has 32 videos in it but it what it covers as well in this is how dallas was different uh they actually called in some some better uh some you know sounder plays uh they the roots better suited what uh their receivers are suited to, something Pete Carroll spoke about before the game. He said, we need to call with shoot our guys. He was very open and kind of like criticizing, basically, Shane Waldron, uh, in, kind of indirectly, but it's rare that Carroll speaks out like that. Um talks about emphasizing his dudes. And obviously, Dallas also stands out because they had more plays. Like they actually converted on third down, so they had more opportunities. But this was uh, a real turning point. So if you're interested in that, uh, www.seahawksontape.com Seattle Seahawks pass catcher redemption because it was a pass catcher redemption for the wide receivers for the tight ends but also for the play calling uh, it, it felt noticeably different it's it's kind of hard to explain without uh, all of this but it just felt they they were deploying them in a better way um, and yeah now is there something else that I wanted to say about this article? Yeah and it wasn't just cuz they you know they they scored the points it, it just it, it just looked better and Gino did throw it slightly earlier uh and just threw it up to his guys and let them go and make the plays i hope that continues but if you see against the 49ers you know them make a pick uh because of that you you know why the the offensive line though is still struggling with, like as as this shows so Where did I want to go from here? Um... Now, one thing as well, doing that article, which stands out to me. Week 13, right? Week 13 against Dallas was the first game where Seattle had all of their receivers and all of their tight ends healthy, other than Will Will Disley, as in... They didn't miss practice. They weren't limited in practice. They were full participants in practice. It was the first time Seattle had that since before week two, the, the preparation for that week two game versus the Lions, right? Like Metcalf's missed a lot of time sometimes. So is Tyler Lockett. And I asked Pete Carroll about, uh, well, he he actually was speaking about that. And he when I tried to ask him about if, they needed to kind of change their route running because of the mix-ups. He kind of went back to guys missing practice time. So it's obviously impacted them. I mean, even today, Gino Smith talking about how they've had really good practice and how that was kind of the difference last week. And uh, Pete Carroll is always going to emphasize the importance of practice, but you know he was mentioning the the practice in the run-up to this game too. So they're absolutely, you know needed needing uh Metcalf Lockett, to be able to participate but i don't know how realistic uh you know that is in the nfl but there wasn't for what it's worth other than you could say jackson smith in jigbo against dallas he could have been a bit better in cover zero situation of of adjusting to the ball gino through but that's more kind of a youthful uh reps between the two thing i i don't know if necessarily worked that out in practice It was a very specific unique situation but there were no other mix- ups uh, to the receiver stuff, which had been a massive massive issue uh, before that, which is also what uh, this article covers it It goes back at, and looks at other weeks and and how they'd been having problems. So um, now the other thing I wanted to 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 study was their multiple tight end usage. So I think I can, uh, I think I can show this. Yeah. So this is uh, the Sports Info Solutions Data Hub. Thoroughly recommend it. Really good stuff. So you can see from if we just do that, just to definitively do it. So in Week Thirteen, Seattle's multiple tight end usage. They used twelve t- personnel, uh, 28 percent of snaps. Um, they used thirteen personnel, nine percent of snaps. So uh, combined 18 snaps of 12 six snaps of 13 that's 24 snaps it's a 37 percent percentage usage of multiple tight end sets that is a, a a balanced aspect of the offense which helps obfuscate tendencies helps them hide things uh helps them you know, be kind of diverse. I think they're more multiple in that. I think they they can get to some of their better run plays. They 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 ran some nice kind of like gap concepts with the multiple tight ends in. I think it also helps them from a protection standpoint. And it also when you get 12 personnel and 13 personnel, especially with the way that the Seahawks have these tight ends in Noah Fan, Will Disley, both pretty good blockers, it forces teams generally to play base defense or if they're not going to play base defense, what you can get is you can get situations where you play a nub formation, you put Tyler Lockett in the slot, and he gets matched up, first of all, on a linebacker, uh, and then he's matched up on a safety down the middle of the field. So that's what the multiple tight end stuff can do. Now, is it true that Seattle's multiple tight end usage has not existed throughout the season? Well, or has fallen off throughout the season. Well, if we uh, if we just get draggy with this. One second. Right. So you can actually see they've used the second most 13 personnel on the season. And the, the 13th most 12 personnel. But there are, I think, I believe there'll be certain stints where they just go without using it. So... let's try and i i don't know what would be a good split i mean chat when does it feel like to you that the the multiple tight end usage fell off because i know it was a big thing against detroit wasn't it i wrote an article about that 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 time um obviously are they're, they're trying to balance uh i see misfit you're asking about i wonder what we, the seahawks will do next year when they have no tight ends well that that's, that's been the whole thing um I mean they use multiple tight ends a lot in uh in, in not in week five, in week four, right? Yeah. So they used them a lot in week four. Seems like they almost alternated. How did they do in week six? Thirteen a lot, but not much twenty one. Um yeah, very eleven personnel heavy. And Misfit, you're asking about the future of the tight end position. Well, that the problem they've had this year is trying to balance uh, getting Jackson Smith and Jigba involved with the offense and his kind of talent with um, the fact that they're quite good at multiple tight ends. Jackson Smith and Jigba's a rookie and he's had some rookie moments. And 11 personnel, they just feel less balanced in. Um, here you can see in week seven, they used a fair bit of multiple tight end stuff. And it'd be interesting to look at these types of defenses and why. Um, I think also what doesn't help them in in some of these weeks, which applies to a lot of the offenses, if they're not. Oh wow, week nine they barely used it. Did someone say the Bengals game? And and, and that's the other thing as well. monjombo saying, uh, I feel like after the Bengals then game, they were using tight ends less since that's when Charles Cross came back. Yeah, it was almost like the multiple tight end thing was like, oh, this is cool. This is funky. This is a way of uh, helping our pass protection with both our starting tackles out, when actually, you know, no, it can be like a a viable approach in its own right. It can give you some, some cool things. Like, you don't have to always be in five-man pass pro, uh, even though your starting left tackles returned. Uh, and, and you don't always have to be in a shotgun kind of 11-personnel offense. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of a myth that, like... The the multiple tight end stuff just like vanished, like it. They kind of sprinkled it in in the odd uh, every other game almost, but their best game seemed to be when they do kind of balance it in, um, like the Cowboys game because it does get the, you know it, it just gives them a, an extra wrinkle or, or t- you know two gives them means they can call different plays, um, and uh, I think it keeps them balanced anyway. Well, yeah, look at, that's uh that's week 12. They they didn't, you know, they barely used it. 80% of the snaps of if, if week 12 against the 49ers, <laughs> where you'd think, hey, let's get a bit heavy and uh, run the ball on them and, and uh, help out against the 49ers. Against the 49ers, you have 80% in three wide receiver, single tight end looks, and you have 11 snaps, 20% in 12. Now, yeah, there is that lack of opportunities thing I spoke about. But anyway, right, so, as I said, we will be uh, looking at the the tape, but, oh, let's not do that. Oh, you can't see that. That's okay. Um, Just brought up all of my documents. So, but the tape we're going to look at from Dallas is the, the fourth down issues. As I said, there's going to be a Geno Smith video out tomorrow, which is going to be uh, largely positive, kind of looking at uh, how Geno Smith is still him. Uh, he is still good, <laughs> and it's okay. Uh, it's it, we can enjoy it. Like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Like it's actually nice to see someone uh, this successful. But what we're going to look at is the the well, two of the failed fourth down plays. Why are we gonna look at them? Because I think you can learn some stuff. I, I really do. So the first one was a, a an interesting moment. And remember, Monjombo, I know I know you asked about um, uh, how Abraham Lucas did. Thank you very much, Misfit. So this is the, the gut. The, they're up by five points, first and ten, uh, just over eight minutes left in the game. I mean, this is the gut punch, isn't it? Uh, so I said how they're doing this cool sort of stuff, oh, I should get my pen um let me just play it through, and I'll get my pen up. This is such a bummer. It's so unlike Tyler Lockett as well i don't I don't get how he dropped this. What well, I kind of do. It's, it's it's a tougher catch than it looks, but a uh, receiver has to uh has to make that um grab, especially one like Tyler. Ah, here we go. That's working. So they did they did really smart stuff where it had been ages since we'd seen actual like usage of pre snap motion like consistently, where you you do this. You, you see that it's man because how do you see it's man? Well, firstly, we're going to have two tight ends over here. They put safeties on them. So typically the the left corner would be on this side of the field. Gilmore was shadowing DK in the second half, wasn't he? But if it was zoned, the corner would be over here. You'd have a safety down here. Um, you know it's man-to-man because you've got both corners on the side of the field. Also, multiple tight end usage, you've... Uh, I, they're not in base, but you have forced them to be in this kind of uh, double safety look on this side. So it's very obviously man-to-man, and they actually use pre-snap motion behind DK Metcalf. Like I said, I speak about this in more detail in this article that I wrote. And then, because of the pre-snap motion, watch how De'Ron Bland moves over and is worried about running off across the field with Tyler Lockett uh he kind of oversteps out there and then this is kind of reminds me of the stuff that um this reminds me of the stuff that the the dolphins do or or the 49ers or the rams like they did against seahawks so the head start motion where because he's running from here he has all this room to accelerate and, and build speed he then is already basically starting from a slot position so he could break either way he has a two-way go he's and he's able to step onto the db the db's thinking well i need to maintain outside leverage i've got help in the post but the first post of dk and a lot of speed draws him in i mean this is unbelievable from gino and this is what we mean of throwing early throwing guys open if he, if he waits for Lockett to get out of his cut or or even be slightly more comfortable, then he's probably hit quite badly or sacked or the ball doesn't get off. But instead, he just puts the ball as he turns. He puts it right on him, which is an insane throw. Um, good work at the top of the route from Lockett. You see this little head fake to sell the corner route to Bland to prevent him undercutting this. He, this is stacking the uh, the defensive back. Good work. Then sticks the foot in the ground, breaks back across. Gino fires, absolute uh, frozen rope, isn't it? And unfortunately, uh, Tyler uncharacteristic, don't almost like he didn't expect it. Now they're able to buy time for this, and this is again, this is the type of stuff we have rarely seen from Seattle. These two working together in combination. Getting given, I mean, how do you get DK Metcalf open? Give him a lot of space to run a crosser. Tyler Lockett, he's really good as well off the play action shot looks, which Pete Carroll says, describes as their, kind of their best stuff. And then you give him a crosser or you let him run down the pipe off play action as well. well it's been so rare that we've seen this happen and, and this kind of bunch as well. Gino's back foot hits, bang. Uh perfect throw, just unfortunate that Tyler couldn't bring it in. Now pass pro wise they, they have some issues uh to sell I mean that that what I mean Fant probably thinks this guy's uh he's worried about helping out against uh ninety but like yeah. He probably thinks this guy's in man coverage and he's going to keep stepping down, but uh, that's not great. Uh, Brandon says, "What are the odds? This is because of Pete Carroll. It's weird. He's critical of Shane Walsh and he's on the sideline talking to him a lot. Then all of a sudden, the game plan seems effective. I mean, I don't think Pete talking to to Shane on the sideline is is that, but I definitely think he had input on on like how to fix this offense based." Like his comments, we literally saw enacted this game. So, you know, his grievances were, were kind of fixed in this game, at least. So then you get in a second and 10, which isn't ideal. Now, this is a kind of play from Gino, which we've seen in recent weeks. We didn't see much of in this game. This was a bit of an odd one. I. What do you think? Why do you think he clutches here, guys? I'll let you watch it a few times. He does a good job of getting rid of it before he gets sacked, but. I need to see where his eyes are looking, but this clutch is weird. Yeah, I think, I think he's thinking, uh, I I mean, it's a really clever rotation, right, from the defense. I, uh, yeah, I don't think he was ever looking at Dallas as his check down. I think he was looking here. So why is it a clever rotation? Well, he's reading this guy, right? This guy stays in the middle of the field, so he's thinking it's a post safety. He's thinking um, this is a one-on-one out here with DK Metcalf. So, if we play it through, bottom of the drop, checks this safety, this safety staying up here. Um, you know, it's e- the way the safety plays, it even kind of looks like it could be cover zero, um, especially with this rusher and this guy starting down. It's almost like cover zero because this guy would be on the running back, right? He'd be man to man. This guy would be man on the three. This guy'd rush. This guy'd be man. This guy'd be Man. But ultimately, he's checking this. He's seen this. He's probably thinking he's got a one-on-one out here. But instead, Dallas is playing cover two on this side of the field. Um, And cover two on this side as well. Double cover two. So it's like two invert where this safety becomes the... He's the half-half high hole. So I think Gino looks at this and thinks one on one here I'll try and throw that and as he gets in his I still don't know why he doesn't throw that it doesn't ever look like he's really going to throw that after he sees this maybe he's worried that this blind side hit is going to is going to knock the ball out His, his posture does not imply that that's in his consideration. Uh, maybe he's worried about the tip here. I don't know. It's, I don't know why he doesn't just throw that. Why does he doubt himself? What are your uh, opinions on this? Hmm. yeah i think he was i think he was thinking uh potentially about gearing up for for metcalf and then there's that rotation along with this edge winning so then he's like crap yeah that's a weird one And yeah, the, 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 this rotation's funky. Anyway, so that brought up a uh, third and 10. Not great. And again, a lot of the success here is um, the fact that Seattle wasn't in too many of these third and very longs. Again, motion of Bobo. What does that do? Uh, It indicates zone coverage because it's not followed. They actually get a fire zone, so nice play to call a screen here with this walked-up look, and a perfect call as well because they're pressuring. You're throwing uh, behind the pressure, and they're playing, like, uh, cover two. Yeah, it looks like this is the the high hole, this is the half, this is the cloud, cloud, deep half, rush, and then this guy's dropping to the curl. Uh, and then this is the curl. So it's like a cover two uh, simulated pressure. This guy's got a tough job because really he's got to come back down, but he's worried about getting out. Good work from uh, Charles Cross getting out there. Nice play call, just third and ten's tough. And this guy's unblocked. JSN actually gets kind of fooled by the rotation, doesn't he? He's thinking this is the most dangerous, but the most dangerous is actually this guy. Or... The most dangerous is this guy, but the lineman's got him. So then that brings up fourth and one. And this was a really easy to play to analyze. Um, live wasn't it? because it was very apparent what happened like Demarcus Lawrence just made a great play now it's a it's a weird one for for cross because this is a wide edge, this is a wide edge, and then there's interior three guys for cross, whose block is like that trying to kick this guy out. He's expecting this guy to stay wide, or if he's going to slant from this position, he'd only slant in here. So he's thinking, my angle of departure needs to be like that. Even with this guy on the edge, he's not expecting him to take a shot inside or or slant inside like that. But uh, he did. You see how uh, on the opposite side, Micah Parsons has the B-gap, right? But he's actually lining up in there. Uh, Lawrence is given the B-gap, but he stays wide, and that just beats cross across the face. Uh, See, that's already too wide. He whiffs on the block. Now, in short yardage, it is interesting that they decided to run like a a split zone play, um, especially with the pinched look at the front. But, yeah, that's a tough uh, – it's just a very unusual thing to line up that wide in a short yardage situation and, and go like that. It's a very rare play. Uh, Pete Carroll said as much as well. See how Parsons has the same thing, but he actually lined up there. It You know, usually you'd line up here if you're slanting inside because you want to be able to get there. But uh, Lawrence is uh, an impressive athlete to be able to do this. And you know we th- uh, this isn't the best example because it's short yardage, it's tough. But the design gap is here, right? You know we we brought up those that that data earlier where we looked at how the runs weren't hitting up the design gap. Well, why doesn't it hit up the design gap here? Is it because the running back decided to be a, a maniac? No, it's because <laughs> they had a guy right up in there, so he had to try and get the short yarded yards outside. So that was the the first fourth down, unfortunately. So now the offense was behind by three points, and they they got to a, how did they get to the second and four? Oh, a nice first and 10 run here. And there's that gap concept, which I think better suits their O-line. Good against this Dallas look. something Seattle does too. They also catch them spinning to too high. Uh, Actually, it might be like this. Let's have a look, shall we? Notes like that. So they catch them to too high. Um, Annoyingly good spill from Parsons. But that's a solid run, six yards. In the NFL, you can block a run really nice, and you still only get six yards. But it's just power to uh, gun, like gun power. Um, good run. This is such a good play. You see how because he does that, it means the ball has the bubble outside and then it gives the alley safety in the deep half time to come back downhill to the play and it gives it back a time to get over the top. If he had taken this block on with this shoulder then suddenly you have this alley up here and this guy's still caught spinning and it hits more downhill, so faster. It doesn't get bubbled outside. And that's one thing watching Dan Quinn's defense. They understand how to play in whatever defense they're in. He knows I have to spill uh, a puller because we're in too high. They know the techniques to play up front to fit the coverages. Anyway, so here's the second and four. This is a weird play as well. There's that same motion. They get zone indicator, don't they? And they already knew they had zone because here's the pair tight ends. Here's the corner. Here's the corner. Here's the safety. Here's the safety. They don't have those two safeties over the tight ends anymore, do they? If it was man-to-man, you'd put the corner on Metcalf and the corner on Metcalf, and then the safety on the tight end, the safety on the tight end. So coverage indicated there, something which has been missing in recent weeks. Multiple tight ends again. Lockett doing the motion, just to double check, but also get him into a stack at the snap. So harder. What, why is it important to get into a stack at the snap? Well, if Lockett had lined up here, he has less room, but by suddenly motioning in like this, One, you might get a rub with DK Metcalf. Two, the corners just stayed outside still. And also, it's given Lockett a lot of room. If this corner's matching up on him, it's given him a lot of room to the inside. Uh, It's given him more space, basically, to work in. Uh, It's also given him, yeah, so horizontal room. um, But also because they're stacked up, this guy can't press DK. He's playing further off. And this guy's playing way off because... He might have to take the first guy, depending on who it releases out of here. He need, So he needs the time to process all of this. So it gives the the receivers an advantage. What route do they run? Unfortunately, uh, it gets open, but unfortunately, Gino's already having to check the ball down because of how that rush developed. There's a... They had the perfect little look inside, basically a smash. They've got cover four over here. This guy has a decision to make where he's probably going to fall off this. He's, he's By the time the ball's out, he's basically getting high load anyway. This defender isn't in the window. It's getting banged in here, isn't it? And, uh, unfortunately, that rush is already there, so Gina has to throw it. And, uh, because it's hurried um i mean dj should catch that slightly off target but dj should catch that probably a good thing he didn't though because it would be for loss that's such an annoying uh annoying pass rush play from cross and cross has been fine this year he's been like quietly comfortable but his issue is when guys line up really wide like this and go speed to power, which that's speed to power. I mean, here he's he's just turned, isn't he, already? Oh, and it it got tipped as well by this rusher. This is what I mean as well. If um, even if Gino was throwing this crazy early, it 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 wouldn't. It would have probably been picked. He, he he. But he was playing very quick this game. But this is this is past pro limiting. So then that gets you in uh, third and four. And this is a contentious play. Is that P.I.? Let me know what you think. Christopher, good to see you. I don't... I mean, it is P.I., but I think real-time... It's just the fact they called the Bobby Wagner one. Now, in terms of the concept here, this is not... I, I, I don't like this, and Waldron kind of does this occasionally. He He calls, like, stick concepts, which you'd think were more to beat Zone against Man-to-Man. Now, here you get just based on the the contours here the way that they're staggered their depths to the stack the way that this corner is uh his shoulders are facing the receiver um he looks like he's about to kind of scooch read uh his eyes look like he's looking here really uh the contours look like man defense now they've they've mugged the front up it looks like man- to-man Now, a stick concept, especially in third and four, Gino's thinking, I'll throw this, and they're trying to separate against that, or I'll then throw this. Dallas navigates it fairly well. Gino sees this guy come outside, knows that's not getting the first down, so tries to bang it in here beneath this defender. And what you can say is, because of the stack and... You know Dallas is playing man-to-man, and they don't want to get in a pick-and-rub situation, so they're going to play off to give themselves some time to navigate it. It does give Seattle a free release, and if you think, uh, what was it, third and four? One, two, three, four. The first down is here. The ball could be out slightly earlier, couldn't it? But really he has to wait for it JSN to turn around. It's a good break from the D B, it's also not buying that there's anything vertical. Uh and uh pass pro wise, wow now i'm surprised uh Gino didn't go to his uh to Metcalf one on one what we've seen in a lot of situations and i've spoken about how predictable it is is when they get man to man often they throw the backside slant to dK especially in third and short i mean this is more traditional zone thing like i said i don't love it um against man but the stack does help it And that was another thing from this game, just actually condensing receivers, like, tightening their splits to try and cause more problems, like, more consistently, was nice to see. It's kind of been missing. So, yeah. And this is why you play uh, double-A gap front uh, because you get one-on-one. So one-on-one, one-on-one. Dallas has this guy. Brown has that guy. Uh, Let me draw it up. So... uh... And it means you get uh, Micah Parsons one-on-one with Anthony Bradford. Like, welcome to the league. (laughs) It's third and four, basically... Try and get some hands on him and give Gino time to to throw it. That's why he's using that kind of jump. So then fourth and four. This is the play I spoke about where I think Gino spoke after the game. He didn't blame Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he didn't. Usually, Gino will always, if he feels he's wrong, he'll very much own up to it. He said they need to get better at this type of stuff. Um, and like JSN clearly just breaks that off at a slightly different angle to what Gino expected. Now, if you remember JSN's almost touchdown catch, which wasn't, but it got them the ball down at the one yard line, he broke his route uh, more like a corner, and Gino clearly expects him to do that again. He has no hope here but to lob it up. Um, otherwise, he's getting sacked and fourth and four, get rid of the ball. He goes to the route which could get open against Mann. Uh JSN just struggles to locate it and snaps it off in a different way to what Gino was expecting. And from a realistic standpoint, like... This is great. Like, If you, Gino had time, you would want to throw it here because there's all this space. Everyone's manned up. The sticks are here. You've got lots of room to play with. But he doesn't have time to do that. He's just having to lob it up to a spot. So as the receiver, you've kind of got to make your quarterback right. And this might be something they've worked on in practice this past week. Uh, yeah, I was kind of hoping live that the the DB would intercept that, given his fourth down. Dallas were kind of bold with the cover zero stuff, and I felt in their game plan as well, it, it I was surprised how much kind of man-to-man concepts they looked to play. Felt like they really didn't respect Seattle's ability uh, to, to beat that from a schematic standpoint, but also their personnel. And Seattle kind of proved them wrong, so that was nice to see. And I'm sure the 49ers will do similar, especially in those passing downs. Maybe not cover zero like this. But yeah. So chat. Let me know if there's any plays that you want me to look at. I've already, uh, I already broke down the um, the other fourth down play. That's just a case of them them executing their call better than Seattle. Now we we've just seen uh, Micah Parsons lined up as a as three technique on the inside. And Shay Morden spoke today about how uh Dallas moves him around so they didn't necessarily know he'd be the edge player. M- matched up on uh DJ Dallas on the last fourth down play. Kerry, you're saying that uh Charles Cross got worked again on that play. Yes, that wide nine thing. Um but also he's blocking for you know, he's trying not to get beat quick, even though he did. Like But yeah, the the, the corners are uh, yeah, the corner's a thing. I know, just the usage of uh, bits of motion in this game from the offense to help Gino out, to help him identify the coverage, To, to but also maybe a second bit of motion to um, get receivers uh even better matchups against their DBs. It, that really stood out to me. So even though we've just looked at some plays which ultimately didn't come off for Seattle and cost them the game. It was uh it was good. Sasha's saying should do some of the good ones so we don't go full depressed so. Well, I've just I've just uh, I've just given you an encouraging thing. And Sasha, tomorrow I'm going to have um, a Gina Smith video out which will have the good plays in it. But also check out my uh, Seahawksontape.com article. Now that's pretty much all i have unless unless you actually have like uh a, a specific play that you want to look at That is that's basically all i've got it's 4 a.m here we'll i'll be back on uh sunday with a post game show i know that the 49ers game finishes slightly earlier uh maybe it won't go to overtime probably won't but it's a uh 105 p.m kickoff isn't it but we'll as usual, go live after the afternoon slates finished, uh, and we've heard from uh, Pete Carroll. And um, yes, yeah, Christopher, good to see. You. Yeah, the re- the replay should work. I've been adding in uh, chapters, timestamps, all that good stuff. Um, Sashi, yeah, absolutely. That first touchdown to Metcalf was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, um, and nuts basically. Missed it. Thank you so much for, for uh, being here, and thanks for your engagement. Well, please do uh, retweet the video uh, or or share it on social media. Share it uh, on Reddit. Uh, let me know what you want to see. Uh, how we can well, how I can improve this format. I, I'm, I feel I'm getting more comfortable at it, but I really do welcome your suggestions. Amy, thank you so much. Sasha, thank you, and Monjumbo, thank you. Really appreciate uh, everyone's uh, support and tuning in. It's good to know you guys are enjoying it because I I'm really enjoying doing it too. It's a, it's a cool format. Um, five star review. Uh, follow me at Matty F Brown. Follow the pod at Seattle Overload to know when we're going live. And until Sunday, and hopefully a a Seahawks win, um, because otherwise. <laughs> Oh no. That that would be miserable. Uh have a good rest of your day.